Welcome to episode 85 of New Slang. I'm your host, Thomas Mooney, and this time around, I'm joined by up-and-coming Texas songwriter Jared Morse. This is one of those pre-quarantine interviews that feels like it was a year ago, but actually was just the first week of March. I sat down with Jared um, at Blue Light here in Lubbock. He was playing a Thursday night, and so I showed up around soundcheck, and we sat down for a few minutes to record this. For those unfamiliar with Jared, he released his debut record, West of East, last year. It's a little bit over a year old now. Jared has a bit of a carefree and easygoing demeanor. He's a very easy conversationalist. He has a bit of an interesting upbringing and path into songwriting. So he comes from a family with some wealth. There's obviously nothing wrong with that, but he mentioned how I guess it could have been easier, maybe not easier, but it, it would have been less surprising had he gone into medical or law school. But instead, of course, he, he became a songwriter. Now, I only mention that because Jared's really self-aware, which that sounds kind of like a strange way to describe someone without it sounding like a backhanded compliment of sorts. You'd like to think everyone was self-aware, but we all know that's not the case. But what I mean by that is that Jared's aware of how that can look. He's aware that you know it can look like rich kid playing dress up playing cowboy songs. But there's something really genuine and authentic about Jared's writing and his experience. For starters, he's not just a songwriter. He shoes horses when working with animals. You know, there's a lot of patience that goes into any of those lines of work. You can't really show frustration. That frustration is just fruitless. I'd like to think that even like the most pious and virtuous people, uh, if they did shoe horses, it would be a humbling experience. In many ways, it's, it's about respect. I think that's all helped Jared's music. He obviously has been informed by Western culture and has a deep appreciation for hardworking folks and individuals who live out in rural areas. West of East really breathes that Western sprawl of nothingness, that open frontier, brush and pasture, you know, like that sweat that just gets on your brow and how it stings your eyes a little bit. You can hear those hints of early Ryan Bingham and early Red Shahan, early Shane Smith on here. If you haven't checked out Jared's West of East, do so. For a quick listen, go check out the album ending panoramic view. It's something that we could probably all use at the moment. Get out and lose yourself in a place that's far away from wherever you're isolated at the moment. As always, subscribe to New Slang if you are listening for your first time. Do so on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc. Leave an iTunes review if you haven't before. Tell me who I should try and get as a guest on a future episode. Follow me on Twitter at underscore new slang. Go give us a like on Facebook. Okay, yeah, let's go ahead and go on to the episode. Here is Jared Morris. Bingham hat. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. we might be on the same page. I think so. Maybe. <laughs> I think we're on the same page. A little bit. That's what we were joking about earlier. Is like, you know, most of these bands like freaking rock it out. And it's cool, man. It's like, and then I get up there and just ding, 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 ding. I'm like, oh, buddy. <laughs> It's what the kids want to hear, you know. Hey, I mean, the kids, I'm I'm convinced the kids don't know what they want. They don't. So no, like, like the masses don't. <laughs> Absolutely not. And kids don't even know. What, I didn't know what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Most of it was just like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, man, I'm into it too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like your friends make the decision for you almost. Yeah. Most people don't have a strong enough constitution to be like, no, I like this. Yeah. yeah. You can see people if it's even kind of like an empty room. Mm-hmm. They're just like looking around. Like, am I supposed to be here? Is this cool? Like, I don't know if I like this. Yeah. You know? Well, like, you'll see it big time 
uh, let's say like in a place like this where there's this big empty dance floor. Yeah. And like, um, who's going to be the first one to come Absolutely. Up? But it's almost never, like I, I watched this, this is probably about 15 years ago, this video about how like a, uh, a movement isn't started by the first person who goes, it's the second person. Because like that second person who goes with, let's say the first person comes up here and starts watching mm-hmm. right front row. Yeah. Uh, it's the second person who comes up because it's like you're you're validating the first validating one. the yeah. first person, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like so if you if you play so it's here, an infinite digression. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like the thousandth person that walks up. No, yeah. it gets a lot easier. Um, yeah, but you're spot on. Dude. Yeah, but I, I watch that all the time. You'll I'll see, watch people you, like when yeah. I'm singing, and they'll just be like, it'll be like, is he good on the edges I can't over there? Tell. Yeah, yeah. Of like I don't know if I should get out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, if I like it, I like it, dude. I'm just like, yeah. If anything, if it was an empty room, I'd be like, oh yeah, man, that's good. I yeah. like that. You know, I don't ever like stand here in the middle anymore, though. No, I've I'm never a, been like that. I've kind of been like, sound booth. Yeah, kind of around that area. Yeah, mainly because the sound booth's there for a reason, like in that spot for a reason. You just, know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you're so, going like, to catch the best sound. That's, yeah. There ain't no doubt about it. That's how I've always kind of played it. Okay. Or over here on the corners. Yeah. Just cause are I'm, you going to hang out tonight or are you yeah, going to cut here. out? Yeah. You will? All right, yeah, yeah. cool. Uh, we're already rolling. So. Oh, we are? Yeah, yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, yeah that's just, the way I like to do it, man. Yeah, this is not uh, a, Oh, so now I have to turn on my stick. Yeah, you know? exactly. Just bringing the just bringing the country music to the to yeah. the people. <laughs> so what, what? Yeah, what kind of grit are you? Uh, <laughs> what, what kind, did you say what kind of grit? Yeah, you know, just that road grit. You yeah. know, we just got a gritty bunch of guys. Yeah, I can't even joke about it. <laughs> Eighty grit, just a. 40. I'd say like ninety. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just ninety grit. Are you saying grit? Grit. Yes. Grit. Yeah. Eighty grit. What yeah. does that mean? You never like sanded anything down before? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But, there we but, go. Yeah, yeah, I mean, not. Like, I'm not a big. No. I mean, I, I can't say I've sanded a bunch of stuff. That but makes you know more what sense I mean. now. But like, yeah. this band has a whole lot of grit. They got mm-hmm. a lot of rust and guts and grime. Yeah. I don't even know if we raw. do. It's pretty much like well, you know Ben. So Ben mm-hmm. Hussey's a bass player, and then Cody Angel plays the pedal steel. But all these dudes are like so experienced. And, uh, man, I was just, like, super, super fortunate. It was like a domino effect. Even putting a band together is the same way what we were talking about with, like, people Having liking one. music. Yeah, right. You know? It took me freaking forever. Dude, I couldn't get a band together. Like, could not get good players together until there was, like, one dude who people knew. And it was Ben, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, it was like, man, I dig it. And so I got him on board. And then it, like, literally all fell into place in, like, two months. Right. And, but it's like a validation thing. So it even happens with people that know music and listen to music. There yeah. is an element of like, oh, this is good. Like, people like this. Yeah. You know, I think anyways, they could quit tomorrow. It's a possibility. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think there is something to it because, uh, like, here, I think um, in the last, like, 15, 20 years or so, the... The being the singer songwriter is in vogue, right? It's the the cool thing to do. You want to be a songwriter, sure. And so what ends up happening is like the lack of bass players and the lack of drummers. And then so then if you're like in a smaller town, you end up all having the same drummer and the same oh, bass player. Right. And everybody then all of a sudden, wants to be the songwriter. Everything. There's like ten songwriters with the same yeah. pair of drummer yeah. bass, and yeah. and then it all becomes homogenized where everyone kind of sounds like that just because like absolutely it, it, the same gear. Heck the same, yeah, man. Have you uh, 
I mean, like, you know, you, you said you were putting this band together. Did you ever reserve, like, a lot of, like, trial runs of, like, moving in people, like, just oh the shuffle? Oh, my and gosh, dude. It was chairs. unbelievable. That guaranteed that's, like, the hardest part of the whole thing was the band deal. It was insane. Like, I don't even know how I'm, like, here. I mean, the amount of people that I went through is just absurd. I mean, shoot, I don't know, man. I used, like, four drummers in, like, six months, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it wasn't even, like, I've, my record's only been out for a year. Mm-hmm. So, or it's coming up on a year, like, in April. So it's not like I've been, like, I had anything to actually promote, right? And that was that was one of the hard things, too, is I, for a long time I didn't ha- I just had my originals, but they hadn't been produced yet. So to be able to walk in there and be like, let's play some of my originals was almost impossible, you know, because like mm-hmm. these most of these guys couldn't just we were gonna have to self produce all of it. So at least now too, I can just you know you can hand somebody a record and be like, learn the parts. Yeah, it's that simple. But even with that, like some of the sounds on there, you know, it's it it maybe is not. Um, I don't even know how to how to say it the right way. Uh, there's like it was very like intentional with some sounds, not to like take myself too serious, but uh, there was definitely some stuff that it's not just like oh just. Turn up the volume, you know. Yeah. And, like, Lloyd Maines produced it, right? Okay. So it's like, that's not, like, me. That's Lloyd. Well, right? I was wondering if, if how much of that was a, where you walked in with the, with, like, a little bit of, like, an idea of what you wanted a song to sound like, or if these were more flushed out and before going in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or were they built in the studio as far as, like, a, I don't really know the direction of what this song is. Yeah. I know what the bones of this song are, but sure. I don't know. I think it was like a oh, a, a little it was a confidence builder for me in the sense and I yeah, I'm uh, I'm not like like trying to like stroke my ego or anything like that. But like I have I have like not a bunch of experience with like actual musicians, real producers. So I've just been on my own writing songs and like do my own research and just do my own thing and I shoe horses and so it's like I just have this other world outside of music, and right. I don't have a bunch of musician friends. So when I went into the studio, it was actually kind of interesting and a huge confidence boost to where, like, even a guy like Lloyd was like, oh, so you, like, know kind of what you want here, you know? And, like, being able to chart out songs and being able to really, like, communicate some things like that. It was because I was, I mean, obviously going in with a guy like that, I was, like, a little bit nervous. And then so through the process, he was like, wow, man, yeah. Like, you actually have an idea of what's going on. And I didn't know that you could go in and just be like, I don't know, just do what you do. Here's right. the song. I had, you know, there's people that go in and, like, don't have a bridge. You know what I mean? And, right. like, the producer has to be like, I think we need to put something in here. Mm-hmm. And there was, like, still some of that, like, moving some things around. But So that was, like, a huge confidence boost to be like, oh, all right. So I think I'm, like, sort of on the right track here. I don't know. Did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's it's one of those things where maybe since you've so new to this world, you, you didn't, uh, I don't know, like, A, take a whole lot of things for granted on, like, how to do, this is just the way it's done, you know yeah. what I mean? And uh, didn't, like, pick up bad habits. Because I think Maybe. Like, uh, sometimes there is something to, like, if you learn something from a young age and you've been doing it since 10 years old, uh, you can pick up a bad habit that, that later on is, like, becomes glaring you know what i mean sure um that's interesting yeah yeah there might there might have been a little bit of that because like even in the sense of songwriting a lot of these 
people that are out in like Nashville and are doing like the nine to five staff yeah. writer thing. I mean, like, why do you think most of the music sounds the same? Why do you think they're writing about the same stuff? Yeah. They live in Nashville. They get up and they write in a cubicle with four other people every day. And they're trying to sing about middle America like John Mellencamp does. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're not there, you know? Or I guess Nashville technically is. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, so well, it, you got to like be there. You got to be doing it. And if you, I think if you, I've, I've always thought formal education in the creative space always kind of stifles creative. Not always. That's too strong of a word. But it, a lot of times stifles creativity. You know, when you're just on your own, you're like, well, I don't know. Does this work? You know, and the yeah. only time is just when you show up with one of your buddies and you can show it to them. Uh, as opposed to having that constant, like, well, that's weird that you didn't go to the two there. You know, it's like, right. you know, just let it rip it's, and see what happens. There is that quote from uh, Terry Allen to Lloyd Maines where there's this story where, like, Terry uh, wasn't keeping time right. And Lloyd, this is like when they were cutting Lubbock on everything, I think. <laughs> and he was like, no, no, you need to go and keep on time. And, yada, and he kept on playing the song differently. And Terry was like, Lloyd, it's, it's music, not algebra. Yeah. You know, and, and there is like the other that other part of the brain for a lot of these guys who it is a it's an equation versus right. a piece of art, you know, and that's absolutely um, now granted, like those guys are wise beyond their yeah. years and a lot of that kind of stuff and can think of things in an abstract way that yeah. uh, I can't even imagine. Sure. But there is a it's a balance, you know. Um, yeah, cause, I mean, there's some of those dudes. I think it's just, uh, it's different. Like, everybody has just sort of a different thing, yeah. you know. There's a bunch of guitar players that I'll play with. Like, I'm not technically the greatest guitar player, um, but I can, I, I think I can come up with, like, pretty cool stuff, mm -hmm. right? Melodically, like, interesting um, chord formations and things like that. And when I play with really, really talented guitarists, and they'll be like, what is that? What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. My guitar was like in a weird tuning one day, and I accidentally played this. You know what I mean? Right. And they're like, well, that's odd. But they would have never done that, right? Because everything's yeah. so like structured for them. So sometimes that can be crippling. But then at the same time, that guy, you can call him two hours before a gig, and he's going to know yeah. his stuff, and he's going to be able to kill it. I can't do that. Yeah. I never. Never could do that. You give me two weeks, and I'm just going to be like, oh, well, yeah. I would just play it the way I want to play it, right? So everybody has their their deal their right thing well that's and and if you're a songwriter or like the the lead it doesn't necessarily even have to be in like the the lead lyricist but if like you there's plenty of people who like lead bands or never sing right that are just guitar players or yeah whatever if you're like that chief uh artist in a band it's good to be able to be able to go into that other world and not have to paint by the colors and yeah or like be inside the lines and just run wild and, sure. and then maybe have other guys be able to like rein you in you know to make it yeah. where you can uh i hate to say it like this but like box it up and give it to the masses you know what i yeah. mean because yeah. like you were saying earlier like i and i'm i'm convinced like uh the kids don't know what they want like you know what i mean like uh you're kind of just if uh one of your buddies knows this band and then you go with them, and you're like, oh, this is good. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's the opening of the door, and then you just kind of fall in line in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, so you, so you just get the, the thumbs up from somebody who's, like, considered the cool person. Yeah. And it spreads like wildfire. There's, like, that 
I think it's a meme, uh, or it's a, like a couple good-looking girls, you know, and they're looking back at the camera, like all like with like a stanky face, you know, like mm, like they don't like it, you know. And it says underneath it, you know, when you play their favorite song two months before it's their favorite song, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what is this? I don't like this. You yeah. Know, until everybody else likes it. <laughs> I think it's probably always been like that, but uh, I, I always like the um, whoever. This guy plays at bar, right? And there's like ten people there, and then he breaks, yeah. right? And then all of a sudden, man, I was at that show. And you're like, right? No, there was probably ten people there, and yeah. you were not one of those ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But everyone, and it's it's you hear stories about like that, especially like in the seventies and eighties about, oh man, I saw whoever at mm. whatever bar, and you're like. Well, you know, and then probably didn't. But. Yeah, 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 no kidding. Yeah, I have a bunch of family members like that. Uh, yeah, those ones, man, I saw George Strait. And I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go. <laughs> My local coffee shop. Uh, yeah, but there's, uh, I forget what I was going to say. This episode is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Obviously, the coronavirus pandemic has had a massive impact on the music industry and on our daily lives at large. The Blue Light has been closed for nearly two months now. And if you're like me, you're probably jonesing for some live music, perhaps a Lone Star beer or a round of burn shots from your favorite bartender. If you're truly missing the place, there are two things you can do. For starters, Lubbock songwriter Charlie Stout and 49 other songwriters have come together for a 50-song compilation called Monday Night Lights. It's 50 demo-style recordings for $50, where all the proceeds will be going to furloughed bar staff at Blue Light Live. All you have to do is head over to mondaynightlights.com. You'll be getting songs from the likes of Josh Abbott and Wade Bowen and William Clark Green, to up-and-comers like Slade Coulter and Morgan Rutherford, to Blue Light singer songwriter competition winners like Juliet McConkie, Isaac Hoskins, and Kenneth O'Meara. You'll recognize a whole lot of people on this list. Uh, just too many to name right here. Trust me when I say you will want to get Monday Night Lights. It's just an incredible collection of incredible songwriters. There's also some pretty cool limited edition poster prints that Charlie has for sale on the site where those proceeds will obviously be going to Bar Staff as well. And we will probably end up having some other cool items listed on MondayNightLights.com as well pretty soon. Again, MondayNightLights.com. We've already raised a good chunk of money so far. We're super proud of how this all came together and proud of how many people have shared the compilation and everything. But as you know, more can always help. And of course, head over to BlueLightLubbock.com. Click on the merch tab. They have koozies and t-shirts and caps. I swear, if you put on a blue light cap and a t-shirt, it almost feels like you're there if you close your eyes. Especially if you've already thrown on the Monday Night Lights compilation. Okay, back to the episode. Yeah, I don't know what I was going to say. Well, let's. you, you mentioned shoeing horses. Yeah. How'd you get into that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, my brother-in-law is a horseshoer. And... Um, so, like, at the end of high school, I started working for him. And I didn't really grow up around it. So, I'm from Decatur, which is, like, a big rodeo town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just never really was my thing. And then uh, started shoeing. And I guess I apprenticed with him for, I don't know, like, total five, six years, you know, making, like, no money. 
and uh, did a little stint down in Florida for a little bit. Those are the dark years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but yeah, then I came back and um, went back to working for him, uh, and then went out on my own, you know, and started my own business. But, like, his dad's a horseshoer and two of his brothers. And his dad's actually in the Horseshoer Hall of Fame. They actually have, like, oh, wow. a Hall of Fame for it. So he's a journeyman. And those are some bad cats there. And uh, it was such a good thing for me because I, like, I had a really great childhood and didn't really want for anything. Um, and so there was an element, even though my parents were, they made us work and they made us do a lot of stuff, there seems to be something psychologically that if you don't have a worry really deep down about like could money go away like what if i don't have any money what if i don't have any food to eat if you'd never have truly that worry like deep deep down i think like psychologically it does something to you you know like you just have a little bit of a sense of entitlement and like i never really had that my parents i think like did a real good job but me going and shoeing and doing that type of manual labor and then working for guys like that where it was like if i was late one day it's like there was no, why are you late? Like, there's no reason, right? It's just like, you're late. Like, this is unacceptable, right? Yeah. Like, we're going to fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was just like, so not. And and I made excuses kind of my whole life, right? And it was that moment. I was like, well, damn. And then even like working with an animal like that, and when you're by yourself working with a horse and you get mucked out and stomped on, and like, you're so mad and whooping on, it's not really going to do anything, uh, it's just going to freak it out more, but it just jammed all of its shoes back and you're going to have to reset all those shoes and you just sit there and you're by yourself and you're just like, well, getting mad's not going to do anything. Uh, I'm just going to have to, and there's nobody to complain to. Right. So I'll just do it, you know, and suck it up. And it, in a lot of ways, it like completely changed my mentality on live. Uh, you could probably talk to a lot of people I went to high school with and they're like, you know, Jared, what? Yeah. You know, and it, so there is something to the always like having that safety net of like just I mean like that's why like a guy like Towns Van Zant he came from money from from wealth you know and he he uh, was always trying to like lose that image just to yeah. get some kind of authenticity all, sure. some kind of genuine and which I is th- ironically unauthentic yeah. Isn't I, it? I, well, I think like you can go, like I, I don't think you have to do that right. to be I, a great songwriter. Yeah, you know I what I mean. Yeah, for sure. Like, like the self sabotage thing. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to. One like the, the example me and my friends always use is like you don't have to go work in a coal mine for <laughs> right. to get like a sense of appreciation or yep. you know what I mean to get that experience. Um, and it's a little bit of authenticity goes a long way. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but. It is interesting to see a, a lot of these guys who kind of come from something like like Guy Clark's. Uh, I think his dad was like a lawyer, you know. Yeah. So he, it's not like he, you know, he came from nothing, you know. And, yeah. But like he, you always kind of try and a lot of those guys try to find that sense of of nothing. Yeah. Um, you know. Well, even like I've noticed, even for me, it's this way. Where people that come from maybe like a successful family or an upbringing where it's like this is what you do with your life, right? The idea of like going and being a like singer-songwriters, you know, at least in my family, nobody did that. I don't yeah. come from a musical family. Everybody's like doctors and lawyers and they own ranches. And, and then it's like in my song, like there's a song called Losing Streak in the Bridge. I say, uh, uh, 
they're all doctors, lawyers, ranchers, sons, but I'm a horseshoer, not doing too much. And, uh, <laughs> and like, you know, so in a certain sort of way, it, there's like authenticity there where it's like there was a clear path that like if I wanted to be a doctor, I could be one freaking like I could. There's so many in my family and they have so many connections. I, we could just make it happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. I could just go to medical school. And that's an absurd thing. But it's like, what? I'm a freaking horseshoer that just works his tail off and then yeah. tries to write songs and do this little thing. Well, I, I think, like, just even a simple example for, like, the average person is, is um, like, when I was going to school, my freshman year, you know, fucked off kind of stuff, right? You don't say. And <laughs> it's one of those things where if somebody else is paying for it, it's a lot yeah, easier. Man. To, it w- and that's why whenever you see, like, a... 25, 27, 45, however old after your your traditional uh, freshman uh, or sophomore or whatever, junior, if they're paying for it, that's why those people are, like, fucking studying hard and, like, doing the, the work. It's crazy, a lot. isn't it? And then, like... If you're paying tuition you yourself, know what's, you know. It, dude, it is, it is nuts. Uh, and you sometimes you don't even know psychologically that you're that person. Like you think, like, well, I'm not entitled, and you know, I, you know, I, I do my thing until like, you, I don't know, you hit a moment that, like, even growing up for me, like having a nice car, like having nice clothes or something like that, and kind of being put together all the time, I wouldn't say it was like super important to me. Like I wasn't uh, like obsessed with what people thought about me or something. But in relation to now, I would look at like my 19 year old self and be like, dude, fuck it. Can I, can I cuss on here? I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. Be like, fucking get over yourself, dude. You don't pay for shit. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like, you have a nice car. Dad bought you that, you little <laughs> turd. And so, like, now, I don't know. Like, I'll go somewhere, and I'm just kind of wearing what I wear because I like it, and I just drive my little beater and because it, it is – I just like it, and I bought yeah. it. And, and I, I don't know. It's inter- – I, I don't care. I care less now what people think with – shittier stuff <laughs> yeah. you know what i mean yeah. well, then I, when i had nicer things a lot of times with especially with clothes is you you realize function over everything else you know what i mean oh like yeah. practicality of like just a, a pair of jeans or a comfortable yeah. pair of boots versus that's why a cardboard starts my jeans because it's so comfortable <laughs> <laughs> that is one oh, of those man. deals that i just cannot uh man i just do it i spend so much money every month on dry cleaning my wife does it too, and I don't know why. I understand that it's incredibly uncomfortable, and it's ridiculous how much money I spend on it, and I still just, like, all my jeans are just freaking stand up on their own. Dude, I don't know why. My dad was like that growing up, and uh, my mom would always, like, get, you know, some of my damn fucking pants done like that, and now I was just, like, one day said, no. This you, is you, ridiculous. You can't do this yeah, anymore. Yeah. Like, I... Because I would, I would not wear them, too. Like, mm-hmm. I, the first time you see them, you're like, oh, this is cool. And you're going to... Sure. And then you're like, man, my, this is like rubbing my fucking <laughs> legs raw. Like, I absolutely hate yeah, this. Dude. There's this one... Uh, and I still, like, won't... Like, that's all I wear. And yeah. I, and I 100% understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, it's a weird... Like, man, I don't I, know. I've, I've not had, like, starch pants and... <laughs> I don't know, uh, 15 years probably, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Just because, oh, no. <laughs> it's a lot of money, too, man. It's like three bucks to get a pair of jeans starched. And yeah. And they don't even do a good job. Man, I, I guess I was like in high school. I found like a pair of like my dad's jeans from 
when he was in high school. And these things were still, like, you could stand them up. But they had been, <laughs> oh, like, yeah. hanging on a fucking uh, a hanger in the closet, moved to, like, three different houses, kind of, you know what I mean? Like, Hell just still in the yeah. back of the closet yeah. and pull them out and fucking still stand up. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, this is from, like, 81, you know? like <laughs> That's well, old starch. Well, you know it gets harder with time. Well, I was going to say, what's in this shit? Like, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> It's just lacquer. It's not even starch. They just use lacquer. Yeah, but... Yeah, it's starts trip, trip, man. It's, yeah. What a what a weird regional thing too. Like most of the rest of the country is just like we went on a bachelor party to uh, up to New York. We went to the Belmont, the horse race up there, and then we went to Atlantic City to the uh, casino. And like we're walking, we stopped in Philly on the way too, and we're walking around and like I got a cowboy hat on and starchies, and people are just literally like a unicorn. Yeah. Like it's like, what are you? Yeah. I mean, they've never seen anything like it in their life. Thing is, is like you could do that with just like a pair of boots on, and people would. Still oh, be I, yeah, like, they would still do it. Be like, what is that? Why are you wearing boots? Yeah, wear a hat. Yeah. Your, did you ride a horse here? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I met. We went to Hawaii when I was like a little kid, and there was a guy. So I like to surf, uh, and uh, we were out there, and there was a kid from California, and he had heard I was from Texas, and he's like, "Man, do y'all ride horses everywhere?" And uh, that's like people's perception, which I think is funny. Like, yeah. and it, you know, and then like I see one of those videos where like somebody rides a horse into a bar, and I'm like, you know what? I understand. Like, I understand what where these people are coming from because that happens, right? Especially right. in Lubbock, dude. I think it gets been weird a, out here. There's, I think there's been a horse in this bar before. I think there really has, like uh, recently. Yeah, in the, like the last couple of years, and then of course there's also, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a, it'll be a, it's a, uh, a news interview where this lady's interviewing a couple of uh, kids at Tech who were part of the rodeo team. And it'll go viral every couple of years. But this is probably about 10 years ago where uh, some cattle had gotten loose. Out yeah, of, like, did they have to, like, rope on the square yeah. or something? Like, rope yeah. a steer like or something like that? Like, on, like, 19th Street and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just the way, that, of course, they talk about going out there and doing it is, is like, is, no one knows what the <laughs> fuck they're talking about if you're not from here um, or if you're not around, like, that kind of work. But, like... Right. It's just it's more of the the story the, yeah. the storytelling. Yeah, I can imagine anywhere else in the country they're just like, "What on earth? That's a thing." <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know what's interesting about we were talking about people being trendsetters. Essentially, is that's what we were talking about, right? Like, mm-hmm. most most folks can't be the first one to make a decision on whether or not they like. Well, that goes for like fashion. That goes for music. Anything. And uh, what I've noticed is like the cowboy crowd and the rodeo crowd a lot of times are the trendsetters. So, like, a lot of the stuff that they, like, wear fashion-wise, mm-hmm. like, I can see, like, one of those cats wear a hat, and two years later, everybody's wearing a hat. Yeah. Right? Like, that same hat. Ball cap, whatever it is. Like, whatever kind of shirt they're wearing, two years later, everybody in, like, the country bar, right, air right. quotes, is wearing the exact same thing. And then, like, music as well. Uh, you know, they'll be listening to something and it's cool with like the rodeo crowd. At least like in kind of the Texas scene, you know, it sort of filters out there everything else. Mm-hmm. Anyways, well, that's just kind of like an observation I've yeah. noticed. Well, something kind of related to that I can see is uh, if you ever see like any of these runways, right, of like people, whatever in in whatever Italian city of these these women wearing these just ridiculous dresses or outfits, right? <laughs> yeah. And you go like, "What is what? What? What is what's going on here? Like, who wears this?" Yeah. But and I think what people don't understand about that is like that whatever they're doing is not 
the practical version of that. It's like somehow that will trickle down to the practical version or like the the version that you can or whatever, like kind of something or another on there. You can see where it'll be on a shirt that you can buy from Dillard's one day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something to the same thing where you're talking about with the, the rodeo and cowboy stuff. Cause sometimes you'll see a photo of a girl and you go, what is going on? <laughs> and like you go, there's nothing practical about any of that. Right. Who's doing that? Um, but then you'll see the, uh, I don't want to say watered down version, but like the, the more practical version later yeah. of someone wearing that. Yeah. So there is something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. I've never thought about it like that. I mean, yeah, leave it to you to, like, make it way more sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I even do, I say that is because I was, I had looked up, like, why, are, like, are the, the runway models, when they're wearing these ridiculous outfits, like, what, you don't see anybody no. fucking going anywhere. But like, somehow it still so does like, set trends. Yeah, yeah so that's it, very it, interesting. It, it'll, but that's obviously more of an avant-garde kind of yeah, yeah. art. Thing that's more of a. I still haven't figured it out. Yeah, like I think I'm starting to figure out the the art, drawing, painting thing. I think it's so cool, man. Mm-hmm. And I got attracted to it through like the Western art and stuff, right? And like, like, and you know, Stout, Charlie Stout. Yeah. I still hadn't met him until like soundcheck today. But like, even some of his, his photography and that oh, the photography thing for sure is one that I did not understand. I was like, really taking freaking pictures. Like, mm-hmm. okay, take a picture of somebody else doing something cool. How yeah. is that art, right? But I was coming at it from, like, <laughs> bitter, bitter about my wedding photos. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, how did I spend that type of money on freaking wedding photos yeah. for this lady to annoy me the whole time? Yeah. How is this art? <laughs> uh, but then, you know, you get into some of this other stuff, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, like the angles and understanding the light and, like... That's a whole other world that like I don't know anything about. Yeah. I can really appreciate that. There's a lot of stuff in the art world that I don't understand as far as like you talking about like painting or like sculpting or yeah. uh, photography or even just other kinds of music. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of jazz stuff that I don't fully understand at all, right? But I will say though <laughs> is like when it is good, you don't know why it's good, but you're it's like it's just good. Fuck man, yeah, you can't put this good. Yeah, but you're like, I don't, I have not studied yeah. this field at all, yeah. but like that is a good piece of art. But then there's times that it's supposed to be like this really high level art, and you're like, dude, this is crap. Yeah. You well, know what it, I mean? It's the, they're like, no, he's really trying to portray the struggle of the Native American culture yeah. in Eastern America. And you're like, no, that's a bean taped to a. A freaking wall. Yeah, that's not. Well, there, there is like the the banana tape to the wall thing. <laughs> oh, that's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and there was the. Uh, I thought I was going like way out there. There was like a banana tape to the wall, and I think what that was There's was like banana tape. trying to prove a point. Well, at what point? Of like how ridiculous this is. Uh-huh. Like that was it was more of like the irony side of it. Like, but there is this one. Like if I was that guy, I would want to just sit there and watch. People yeah. walk, look at it. There is this one. Try to uh, figure it out. <laughs> it was an art gallery where somebody had set up a new exhibit, and the guy had like taken his glasses off and set them on the floor for some reason, and was like stepping back to make sure the photo was right or something like that. And then they started letting people in, and he never got his glasses. And he looks back over, and people were like taking photos of the glasses, like it was part oh of. Oh my gosh! It's like no. it gets a little over the top. Yeah. So. 
<laughs> the high level. Well, it, it, the, it does the same thing in songwriting where it's like, dude, if you're trying to be deep for the sake of being deep, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's like, all right. Like, because simplicity a lot of times is really freaking cool. Mm-hmm. And to me, I don't, man, I, I, you know, even as we sit here and kind of rag on, like, you know, the, the, the general population in terms of how they choose what they like, the general population is actually pretty freaking smart in the sense of, like, um, they can sniff out bullshit, like, real quick. I think sometimes. I don't know. If, yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Like, sometimes. Uh, okay, the, the country scene is, like, a weird anomaly. In, like, the, even, like even in the pop world, like, if mm-hmm. somebody's inauthentic, I think they just, like, I think they sniff it out pretty good, yeah. you know? And if you're trying to be deep for the sake of being deep, uh, they'll sniff it out. And if you're trying to be catchy for the sake of being catchy, a lot of times they'll sniff it out. Yeah. Like, I don't like I, it. I think a lot of times, especially if you're being, if you're trying to be really deep and you're inexperienced in that whatever, the easiest thing is heartbreak, right? If yeah. you're like some 18-year-old kid trying to, Tell us about yeah, it's like come on man. cocaine mm-hmm. or like <laughs> or about mm-hmm. partying hard or mm-hmm. like about having your heart broke. Then you're like, maybe maybe you don't know what you're talking about. Maybe you're gonna get over this. Like, right, <laughs> and right. You just don't I think know. You're it gonna yet. pull through, bud. Um, but there is, you know, it's the the repetition of it. That's what I you got to kind of remind yourself of. Like, all right, you're gonna you're gonna get over this, and you're gonna write a better song sometime. Yeah. Um, I so. I have a hard time. Right about stuff I haven't done or gone through, mm-hmm. but man, you gotta live life. Like you gotta go do some stuff and have something to write about. Yeah, I I, I wholeheartedly agree that you have to have some life experience to be able now, to. Now I don't think you have to do that to be able to write good melodies. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I think you can learn melody. Yeah, that I think. But in terms of the words that you're singing to the melody, I think you got to go live some life. Yeah. You know? I do think that. The melody is like a real elusive thing. It's wild. I, it doesn't seem like that many people really like focus on it that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the number one. That is what gives the words really impact and meaning and like how it's communicated in the moment is the melody. But like, any, like most co-writes that I have, like we don't even like talk about melody. Like somebody starts singing something and then they go here for the chorus, and it's like, all right, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, you know, some of these, like, really good songwriters that I that I see, they don't do that. They sit there, like, why do we go here? Like, where are we building this thing in the verse to the chorus? Like, where is this thing supposed to go? Where is it supposed to finish? Like, they're very, very, as uh, specific as they are with their lyrics, they're that specific with their melodies, you know? It's not just, like throw away like oh let's just sing something yeah that happens a lot i've seen some co-writing done and it it is interesting where you uh a lot of times i think people think just you know it's like oh let's uh let's we're gonna write a song and we just start on that first verse and then we just go oh that's good and then you you go on to a second verse and you're like oh that's good and then you go to a chord and it's it's not like that a lot of times you know it's starting from the middle or starting from like and then trying to figure out uh, like a great songwriter is trying to, once you got some kind of rough estimate, trying to figure out what's wrong with the song, what and pluck those things out, yeah, man. or like what makes it, you know, a smooth uh, break right. between everything, you know. Yeah, um, I heard. I think it would, man. I think it was Radney Foster that talked about uh, 
most of the first verses that he writes end up being his second verse. Mm-hmm. Don't quote me on that. I don't know if that was specifically him. I think it was. Which is like the prime example of like not just sitting there and going, nah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, man. Mull it over, you know, push it around. Yeah. Figure out what's going to work. Uh, and then scrapping songs. Who's who's the person that said, uh, like, they find creativity in destruction? Like, whenever they would, maybe it was like a painter or something, and he would always destroy all of his artwork. Hmm. Because he thought he was going to be more creative if he destroyed the stuff in the past. Well, that's interesting. I don't know. Well, so, and, and like, I completely stumbled upon this just because I'm an idiot. But... I always record, uh, like, melodic ideas and then any demos that I have, like, of songs or anything. I always record them to my phone, just in voice memos. But I'm, like, awful. I lose my phone, like, every other day. And so uh, I've gone through, like, five phones in the past five years, right? And I completely lose everything in my voice memos. Have you uh, started, like, using, like, Evernote or something like that? Uh, No, where it would save it? Yeah, Yeah, I probably should because I've lost a ton of stuff. Yeah. And, um... Like a ton, and I'll get my new phone, and it'll literally just be at one. Like the first one will be first recording. You know, I always have lyrics that get saved in my notes, but like the actual songs, I lose. And then I've noticed now over like the years, there'll be stuff that pops back up, and I'll be like, man, that's like awfully familiar, right? Yeah. But it'll be in a different spot, like in a different song, at like a different time different melody and i'll be like hmm i feel like and i'll go to like google and i'm like is this a song and then i'll be like oh shit i think that i did that yeah like, i think i did that and then it just popped back up and so now that's just kind of been like a thing of mine where i don't really actually get that worried about uh writing it down or recording it or anything if i wake up the next day and i remember the melody or it's the lyrics good. it's good if yeah. i don't it's shit yeah that's interesting too on the uh because I've, I've heard a lot of songwriters say that kind of thing where it's like is this from another song? Yeah. And then you're trying to figure out where that's from, and then it ends up being a song that you've written <laughs> right, yeah. or, like, not you didn't finish, yeah. and you're just kind of like, oh, well, I wrote it. That's, what, right, that's where it right, came from. Yeah. You know, or, like, that general idea or that kind of phrasing or whatever. You know, that's, that's uh-huh. interesting how you, uh, you end up, like, just mentioning yourself, you know what I mean, or, mm-hmm. like, referencing yourself for... Uh, which is funny that in high school I got accused by an English teacher of, swear to God, accused me of uh, plagiarizing myself. Because <laughs> yeah. I wrote a paper earlier that year with some other stuff that was, like, similar. And she was like, well, you can't plagiarize. So you can plagiarize yourself. And I'm like, how is that a thing? That a thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is that? Yeah. Well, I think they're about to turn on here. Are they about yeah. to open up? Yeah. All right, so. man. Yeah, well, it's been good talking with you. Yeah, heck yeah, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we'll see you down the road. We'll do this again. See you down the road. Thanks for listening to episode 85 with Jared Morris. Be sure to check out episode sponsor, The Blue Light Live. And be sure to check out Monday Night Lights. We'll see you next week.